Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to the first Gegenpod of 2022, where we dissect all the latest Premier League drama, including Man United bottling it at home to Wolverhampton, the Lukaku saga, and Schwarzer tells a story of Ravanelli from back in the day, a very similar story to this one. Before we dive into the African Cup of Nations, is it the most disrespected competition in world football and the transfer windows open, which means it's wheeling and dealing, it's silly season, and we're going to play our own little game of start, bench, sell, all that, and plenty more on the the Gegenpod. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to the first Gegenpod of 2022. It is a new year, but same old stories in the footballing world. As always, it just continues to write itself, and we've had huge ones pop up this morning. So I'm joined by our legends, Michael Bridges and Mark Schwartzer. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me. Bridgie, I know the darts are on over in the UK, but it's probably not the biggest storyline of sport over there. Manchester United at home losing to Wolverhampton Wanderers. It was a disappointing result and it was in the early hours of the morning here but it was peak time over there. What's the reaction been like? The reaction has been horrendous. Obviously Manchester United at Old Trafford getting dominated um, in their own backyard and I've got to say it was a fantastic performance by Wolves. They stuck at it. They, They defensively looked fantastic creating 19 chances at Old Trafford which is, you know, they haven't just sat back and engaged and and try to break on the counter-attack. They, they've played some lovely football. And I've got to say, you know, there was there was a lot of Portuguese on the field. The main man, obviously, we talk, everybody was talking about was Ronaldo. He was quiet yet again. I thought he was terrible against Newcastle United in the previous game. And it was Bruno Fernandes that came on, but he couldn't stay in the limelight because that went to Matinho, who got the goal for Wolves. Um, so all in all, everybody is so disappointed that the way Manchester United played. But I've got to give credit to Wolves. I thought they were outstanding. Their first win at Old Trafford in about 41 years, 42 years now. Their last win was in 1980. Schwartzy, Ralph Ranick. Now, we can speak a little bit more about his impact so far. And you know how you know how quick football fans are to react. And already there were messages sent <coughs> apologizing to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from some United fans because they feel they haven't seen a change since he's come in. To be fair, it's his first loss in charge, but there have been a few disappointing performances, even in the games that they've drawn and won. Schwartz, as a man who knows a lot about Ralph and his methods, what have you made of his start? Um, yeah, I think his initial impact was was very, very good. Um, like we often see with new managers when they come to clubs. Um, <clears throat> since then, obviously, you're right. The performances certainly haven't been great. Today, their first loss, I mean... I, I, I know United fans are looking at that team going, you know, what that, that team should be doing a lot better. And, and I kind of agree with it, right? But, you know, there, there are obviously other issues. There must be other issues at the club. There, mustn't be, there must be a lot of unhappy people there because, you know, the quality that they have, the manager's good enough. I've got no doubt about it. So something's not quite right. Um, <clears throat> the atmosphere mustn't be right. There must be some issues there. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some changes now in January. Um, certainly there's too many players at the moment who are, who are not playing anywhere near what they can uh, or the level that they can play. Um, Jane Sancho is one of those players that at the moment is, is quite baffling. However, I just think also there's a number of things. I think the, 
the, the, the pressure that's now on his shoulders, being an English player, coming back. They've spent a lot of money for him. And he's at an, I mean, I know he's at a big club at Dortmund, but he's at an enormous club at Manchester United now. <clears throat> I think the first four or five months were a real struggle for him. I don't think uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer believed in him at all. Um, and therefore, I think the guy's confidence has been, been absolutely shattered. And I think that goes that shows um, at the moment. I don't know under Ralph Rennick quite where Sancho is playing. Um, I don't find him enough. He's not for me. He has to be out wide. He has to hug that touchline. He has to get the ball at his feet and run up at defenders. And I don't see him doing that enough at the moment with Manchester United. And uh, he needs to get back down to, to basics, get back to how he was playing at Dortmund and how well he was playing Um and there's, he's not the only one. There's, there's so many. You, we could talk for another hour about United and about how, how many of their players are underperforming. Well, I've just listened to Paul Ince on the live TV over here in the UK. And he was talking for half an hour about Jaden Sancho and what he's got to try and do, Swartzy. He's on the same page as you. It was so, so much of a letdown performance. And he just doesn't seem to be able to kick start his season at all with United. And it's really sad. But what I've got to give credit to is a man that came in for the first time in God knows how long, the last time we saw him, he's the forgotten man. It was Phil Jones, and for me, he stole the show because I thought his defending was outstanding for Manchester United and got a really good reception from the fans for his performance. But, um, you know, it wasn't strong enough because Wolves came with a game plan and they got it. Yeah, definitely. And good to see Phil Jones back two years later. And of course, yeah. plenty of injury woes there at the back line and, and players missing for various region, reasons. He came in next to Varane, to be fair. There are not many better players in world football to park yourself next to and to learn from. He played very, very well. And it's great to see Phil back in the lineup. United lose at home. They had their chances, though. Bruno Fernandes was in the thick of it, as you mentioned, when he came on. Nonetheless, though, that's a loss at home and a very disappointing and demoralizing result. We spoke a little bit about defenders, touched on it. A little bit more breaking news this morning is that Thiago Silva has signed a contract extension at Chelsea. He will be staying an additional year, 37 years of age now. Schwartz, Thiago Silva, Chelsea probably could have used him the other day with some of those defensive mishaps against Liverpool. How important a player is he for Tommy Tuchel going forward? He's uh, huge. You know, he was the one, I, I think if you talk about, you know, Chelsea, the way Chelsea set up is and the way that managers or how much say managers at Chelsea have in the recruitment of players, he is a Thomas Tuchel signing. He's the one player that Thomas Tuchel wanted and he brought in and the club were happy to bring him in. Um, obviously, he's impressed everyone. I mean, I don't know anyone who has a bad word to say about him. His influence has been enormous. We've seen it from day one. His performances, let's, let's not forget, his, I mean, his, his horror performance in the first game we made for the club. But, you know, it happens. And listen, you can see it. From a guy with that much experience, it can also happen. But the credit is the way he's able to turn it around because we all know he's a top, top class player. Um, and he has been one of their most consistent players. And, he, and his reading and understanding of the game is, is sensational. Um, and Chelsea, Chelsea don't do it too lightly where they give players of that age new contracts so soon. Um, you know, he's still got six months to go of this season and, and they've already given him a new extension. That's because of the impact he's had on and off the pitch, not just on the pitch. Swartz, do you think that's got a lot to do with the Rudiger situation as well, that they need to get somebody tied down? Because Rudiger, at this <clears> moment in time, has just been announced over here that he now can potentially talk to any club he wants to under the Bosman ruling, which is huge because he's turned down the latest offer on Chelsea. So I think that's a bit of a rebound myself. What's your take? Yeah. Yeah, I think Christensen is another one as well. So there's a, there's a, there's a couple there that they could lose. Um, for me, you know, Chelsea obviously have their, their pay structure. They obviously have an idea of, of, of you know, what players are worth. Um, I, I don't think 
Rudiger's going to get any near, anywhere near the amount of money that, that people are reporting that he's been offered at the likes of Real or could be offered at Real Madrid and, and, and everyone else and Bayern Munich and stuff. And I don't think Chelsea are prepared to pay that. They'd rather, I would think Chelsea would go out and buy someone else and possibly pay the equivalent, but buy someone else out of principle and obviously give them less wages, they'd, but they pay the transfer fee. I think it's more about the wage structure that they don't want to break. Um, so to answer that question, is it a statement to say, well, yeah, we've, we've made that signing, we've signed a secured a player's signature? A little bit, probably. Probably a little bit of that. Um, I don't think that will influence Rudiger's decision or Christensen's decision for that, for that matter. I think it's really just about making sure they've got the player that's probably had one of the biggest influences yeah. at the club since he's arrived. Yeah. Rudiger obviously has been exceptional in the last 12 months. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, take my hat off to him and I'll eat my words in saying that I don't think he was good enough to play at Chelsea, which I said uh, a couple of seasons ago. He still annoys ago. the hell out of me with his antics on and off the field, though, mate. Oh, I've yeah, absolutely. Say, I agree I would hate to play against this guy because he, he can wind you up to the highest hilt and he always tries to get himself involved and play the mind games. But, you know, you've got, you've got to respect that's part of the game. But he, he really irates me, mate, and I don't even play against him. <laughs> he does me a little bit as well. However, you've got to give him credit when credit's due, and, and, he's, been, and he's been sensational for them. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, they, they know him and they work with him, know his character, and I know he's a big influence in the change room and people really like him there. Um, but is that enough to give him that sort of contract? I, I don't think so. I don't see Chelsea, unless his demands come down, I, I don't see Chelsea pushing the boat out that far for him. You know, I, I think... They're more than happy then to go, okay, fine. If we can't come to an agreement, move on, and, and on we go with the next one. So, Schwartz, you were at Chelsea quite quite recently, really, in the grand scheme of things. You know how that structure works. And Man United, I think, were were criticised, I think, in, in, in the last 10 years since Fergie's left anyway for this wage structure that's gone a little bit bananas with players that have come in. Remember Alexis Sanchez as well. Just players getting paid outrageous amounts of money compared to other people. Chelsea have, have tried to always made it, make it known that they have a strict wage structure in place for their players. How much does that influence the morale in the change room? Is this something that players inevitably look at and they can feel disgusting? gruntled when that gets leaked in the media? Um, possibly. Certainly as players, you do a little bit. I mean, the other player I haven't mentioned is Aspilicueta. So there's Aspilicueta, Christensen, and um, um, Rudiger, who were all out of contract in the summer. Mm. And as, as you know, if you think about Aspilicueta and what an influence he's had at the club at his, since he's been at the club, it's been enormous. You know, for a player they paid next to nothing for, mm. people didn't ever give him a hope, really, to sort of reach the levels he has. And he's been exceptional for them. And all the talk is they're potentially prepared to let him go as well. So they're not afraid to do that. Um, the wage structure, I don't think it's set in stone, but there's, there's a certain sense of they, 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 they're not afraid to let a player go, unlike, say, an Arsenal, mm. who were obviously petrified to lose Sanchez, to lose Ozil. Once they lost Sanchez, it was like, right, we can't lose Ozil. And I think Chelsea have kind of taken note a little bit and gone, we don't want to be in that situation. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we really push the boat out to secure someone and they almost take the foot off the pedal a little bit. Look, I mean, they're bombing again at Arsenal now. You know, look at the issue they've got there. So I think Chelsea are a bit like, you know what, we don't really want to be in that scenario. So what we'd rather do is we feel that we get an incredible amount of uh, uh, performances out of this player and we're prepared to let them go now at this stage, and we'll bring someone in. If he goes on and plays for another two, three years and plays really well, well done. And I think that's what Chelsea have been pretty good at. They're not really afraid to let someone go, and they go off elsewhere and play really well. 
Claude's, there mustn't have been a weird structure when Swartz was there because I've seen the size of his house and I've seen how many dogs he's got to feed. There was no weird structure there, mate. He cleaned that club out to the maximum. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I, mate, I wish. Do you think I'd be doing a podcast every night, every Tuesday night, if I was that wealthy as you make oh, out you to love be? This just for the banter, mate. For the love of the game. For the love of the game. There was that. See, it's all about the mercenary comments again. <laughs> I thought about that, you know, like Schwartz is saying about how Chelsea, very rarely do they keep these players late on and it's tough to get a contract there however Schwartz still holds a record as the oldest player at Chelsea Football Club and at Leicester yeah, City Football Club so there's yeah, a different it a, gravy here it was a bit of yeah. spare change that they gave me that was the only difference I mean we're not talking about what we're talking about in Rudiger's case and Aspilicueta and all these guys I was spare change mate and that and, and that's and I was seriously there a stopgap and they've done that over the years actually they've done that over the years where they've bring, they've brought in older goalkeepers we've seen it and, and they're, they're happy to do that because they can see the value in the experience and so long as the personality fits and the work rate and everything else, they're happy to keep... We see at Man City. You look at Man City and the number of goalkeepers they've got at the club. Older goalkeepers, Scott Carson. I didn't even know Scott um, Carson was still playing until I saw him make an appearance last Absolutely. Richard, Richard Wright was there as well before that, who's now on the coaching staff. It, it's yeah. a real trend now that people are looking to try. And I mean, Chelsea's done it for a number of years now. Manchester United with Tom Heaton. Um, you know, you see that he, he's been added to that squad, of course. Um, Romeo before that. So they're happy and they're, they, they see the importance of having the right experience and right blend and someone that if they need to play, will play. And I think, you know, that's something that's a little bit different to the rest. And we all know, goal, we're all special goalkeepers, mate. We're, we're very different. They, they are, yeah. They're special uh, in more ways than one, let's be real. Uh, we've, we've spoken about that on the podcast before as well. And Medni, who is leaving to the African Cup of Nations, he managed to squeeze one more game in against Liverpool. Liverpool were without their first choice mm. goalkeeper. Bridgie, there was a lot of noise made over here that, that was that first half was the best half of Premier League football we've seen this season. What was the reaction over there in the UK? Absolutely huge. I mean, the build-up to the game itself, you know, both, both teams, the amount of goals that they've scored this season... Um, and also the amount of second goals that both clubs have scored this season. However, that wasn't the way it finished. It was all about the first half. It was end to end. It was it was so exciting. I mean, you know, just sitting with the family, watching it, and a few friends in the living room. It, none of us are fans of Liverpool or Chelsea, but we just absolutely embraced the game. And that was the Premier League football at its best. And I, I could not believe the work ethic from both players, the pressing, the tactics, and also the way that Liverpool. Um, managed to dissect Chelsea. But then, you know, the, the resolve and the, the camaraderie that Chelsea showed to get back in the game, it was just an unbelievable 45 minutes of football. Second half was still great, but nothing will beat that. That was just absolutely tremendous. And the man you've mentioned, Mendy, pulled off for me one of the saves of the season from Salah when he tried to chip him um, from 30 yards. It was, it was a, such an audacious attempt by Salah to even try it. And the fact that Mendy managed to get himself back, I've got to give credit. I thought it was a, a very fit and save to say farewell um, while he goes off to the African nations. I'll tell you what, I said at the beginning of the season, the, the question mark was whether or not Mendy would be able to step up and live up to expectations um, after what was an unbelievable last season. I, I think he's been sensational as well, like Bridgie said. I mean, that save was, was, was superb. Um, you know, People, I think, underestimate, don't understand how difficult that is actually to make in terms of the, the speed of which Salah had the ball, you know, sort of half control and initially a little bit behind him, managed to put it in front of him, the pace at which he goes to the ball, all at the same time as Mendy's trying to gauge how far, how much further he needs to retreat. And he almost gets caught out of position a little bit. 
there was an unbelievable camera angle on the goal yep. line in the bottom left-hand corner of the goal behind Mendy. And you saw how far over. He'd actually got his angles all wrong for me thinking about it. But the way he was able to adjust himself, the quick feet that he showed, I thought that angle for being a non-goalkeeping man myself, that, that gave me... I, I looked at that and thought, yeah, I've I got to credit that hugely because of the way he moved his feet and how he got himself back over there. And I actually don't think he would have made that save when he first arrived at the club. I actually think his footwork has improved incredibly. I know, speaking to Petr Cech, that they identified it as an area that they think that he needed to improve on and they worked very, very hard on it. And Mendy was obviously very, very open to it and wanting to learn and observe, uh, absorb all the new information and the new training regime. And he's done it incredibly well. I mean, you, you see that angle, like, like Bridget was mentioning, there was another one from a, from a slightly different angle. And you see him out of that position. You look at, the, you look at him physically long tall but the strength in his legs and the ability that he had to keep his legs close enough together he had a lot of control had total control and the ability then to push not only upwards to the right but in a, in a backward direction which is always more difficult because obviously as you're traveling backwards the natural you're going to end up arching back and he i mean the the the, the strength that he has in his thighs is is, is superb it was, a, it was a sensational save i mean let's let's not underestimate up the other end as well Kelleher. I thought yeah, he looked. Him. I mean, he, he looked like he was smoking a cigar most of the time. In terms of how relaxed he was, the save he made against uh, I think it was Pulisic, um, yeah, the yeah. volley was yes, it was straight at him. Well, almost straight yeah. at him. I mean, listen, if he had not stuck his hands up, it would have gone in. So, in terms of when I say it was straight at him, it's not like it would have hit him in the face or anything like that. I mean, the reactions was were brilliant. That's why he made the save because he was so it was quick take on that something reaction. Something special to beat him in the night he was having it. And I've got to say, it was the biggest... I mean, the, the shock with the connection of the, the volley to go <laughs> yep. top corner. The technique, oh. I've, I've watched it time and time again, and I'm still trying to understand how he's managed to do it because the technique to do that is so hard, but the actual body language of the... Uh, uh, who scored it again? Yeah, Remind Mateo me. Mateo Kovacic. Yeah. Kovacic, Kovacic, yeah. Kovacic, everything suggest that he's just going to punt that over the stand and the body language is horrible but I tell you what what if anything was going to beat a goalkeeper on his night it was that and I you've asked me close what the feedback was from over here in the UK everybody enjoyed the game for what it was nobody was obviously happy with the result from Chelsea or Liverpool there was only people celebrating in Manchester from the blue side of the city there the light blue or the sky blue and that's Manchester City because that result favoured them no end whatsoever I also think um the goals, you look at the goals, I thought certainly Chelsea, both Chelsea go, goals were incredible. I thought Pulisic's finish was brilliant as well. Um, I thought Mo Salah's finish was excellent. Um, Mendy did everything right. I mean, he gets beaten in the near post, but it's a great finish. Mo does incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And let's also, let's say Mane, you know, nine, go- nine games without a goal. You know, confidence must be a little bit affected. And he's in that position where he's like, I've got to score. I've got to score. There's no doubt I've got to score. And he does it really, really well and does it calmly. And, it's, and you know, okay, Aspili quite got close, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's in the back of the net. And, and Mane's back up and running. He's going Quick around. one for you, Claude. Being yep. Chelsea man. And I want you, don't want you sitting on the fence here. <laughs> Mane's challenge. There's big talk over here. Everybody, there's the, the discussion is... Mane's elbow on Aspilicueta in the first 15 seconds of the game. I just want to know from you, red card or yellow card? I think um, for me, it's, it, as you said, Chelsea, man, it'd be easy for me to jump straight into the red card, but I'm not like that personally. You know, first minute of the game, I think a yellow, to be honest. Uh, just I love because a... it's first minute? Yeah. <sighs> so, so you're saying I can go and two foot somebody in the first minute of the game yeah, just not... give me a yellow card? 
No, no. I think no, definitely no. if it's if it's when 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 you when you border on that kind of like two foot someone potentially break a leg, you know, so elbows really, elbows breaking someone's jaw or <sighs> nose or cheek bone or smashing someone's face is all right. I just it's, I just knew we'd get that answer asking. from you, mate. It's yeah. yeah, we're just asking. No problem. We'll move on. It's just the old um, let, let them know you're there early, you know. <laughs> but the minute the minute you say so early in the game that's irrelevant yeah it is irrelevant the, the, you're right. you, you've got to that judge the challenge right? and he knows these things wrong you can't yeah. see I mean, the thing is Bridgie do you, do you think it's a red card Bridgie no I don't no definitely not <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to close his, you know I wanted to hear his. What, why I do think you think it, it's not a red card because I thought it was more of a, a, a protected arm mechanism than an, than an elbow attempt um, that, that was my take on it sports yeah, I thought it would have been harsh if he had got a red card the only thing I'd say to it is uh, listen I, for me it's there's intent to put the elbow out there, almost the arm, the forearm, to protect himself because he yes. thinks there's the challenge think, coming on. I think he's bottled it, to be fair, and I think he's protecting himself. Absolutely. Yeah. And what actually, uh, you know, what, what actually hits Aspilicor in the face is his wrist, right? But that's not to say that it's not a dangerous thing. I mean, I mean, people say, well, it didn't hit his, his elbow didn't hit him. Well, the, the thing is, so it's not a red because the elbow didn't hit him, but it's whether or not the intent was there or whether it was a dangerous play or not. I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a little bit like, it's, it's a hard one to call. I, I, I'm a bit on the fence with it, whether it's red or whether it's yellow. I just thought I, and I think, gone straight for the red, so I'm happy he's gone and sat. And yeah, I'm a bit on the fence with it. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. The only thing I would say is, because he bottles it, he doesn't even really attempt to go for the ball, whereas Aspilicueta, he's got his eyes on the ball and he's trying to head yeah. the ball. The only, that's the only thing I'd say is probably leans it slightly more towards red. I know Jimmy Floyd Asselbank on TV, uh, Graham Sooners over here, they were adamant. I mean, Jamie, Jamie Carragher obviously was supporting Liverpool and, and, and saying that he doesn't think it's a, it's a red card because what Claude said in the first couple, you know, first minute of the game. That to me, throw that, throw that argument out the window. Who cares if it's in the first minute or the 90th minute? It's whether it's a red card or not. And I think it's more a red than it is a yellow. Well, I mean, one thing's for sure. As yes, as 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 a Chelsea fan, I would have loved it to be a red, but nonetheless, the game that we got out of the back of that, yeah, thank goodness it was. It would have killed the game. It would have killed the game. Yeah, it would have killed the game. No doubt about it. But that doesn't. That's not a reason why you don't send no, someone of off just because you're afraid of killing the game. I mean, we're all talking about what an amazing game it was, and it wouldn't have happened, I don't think, had the red card had been given. But you go back to the point of consistency. Was it a red card? Was it not? I mean, like I said. I'm more. It was a yellow, so let's move on. I'm more towards red. <laughs> you started this. You opened this can of bridges. Yeah, you did. Of bridges. This, he threw, this can he threw, of worms, he, Bridgie. Uh, but yeah. the thing is, look, when you look at, unfortunately, you guys have played the game for such a long time, and you know that that is a thing. Early in the game, late in the game. The other one is if a foul's made in the penalty area, if a foul's made on halfway, it should be the same thing, but it just never really is, and that's just the way. Well, so you're is. saying there's a foul on the halfway line it should be a penalty as well. No, I'm just saying, saying, you know, how many times have you seen the same thing in the box isn't given, but on halfway it's being given. So that's just yeah. the game. We have to enjoy it. But uh, it was great for the African players. You know, we've already spoken about Mendy, Salah, Mane. They're the ones that stole the show, and they're the ones that are going to be missing for quite some time. And we're going to get to that in a second, but I have to touch on the Romelu Lukaku saga. And I think I'm going to know the answer from you two, but there was all eyes on Tommy Tuchel. How's he going to respond to this? Firstly, I thought it was bizarre, the comments in the media, but nothing yeah. really can surprise you with modern-day footballers. Bridgie, was Tommy Tuchel right to drop him completely from the squad? Yes, completely. And I would have done the same if I'd have been the manager of any football club. And my players had spoke out like that against a team that had just signed him for £100 million and the fans had embraced him. And after his first goal 
said it was his childhood dream to play here and then you throw your dummy out at Christmas. I honestly don't know what has gone on behind the scenes. We don't know what, what has been said between him and Tuchel. Um, I mean, the latest news over here is that they have sorted it out and he won't be moving in January. And as a Spurs fan, I'm gutted about that because one of his comments was he wants to get back with Conte and that would have been a move to Tottenham Hotspur, um, which might have seen the back of Harry Kane. So who, who knows what's going to go on? But the question was, I thought it was a disgrace what he had actually said because of the time and the disrespect to the Chelsea Football Club and the disrespect to the fans that have you know, just shown so much faith in what he's done. Um, but again, I've been in similar situations myself where I haven't got on with managers behind the scenes and I've never come out and spoke about that when you've had your time there. You do the honest, respectful thing and you wait until after your football and until you've moved on. Um, so we don't know if there has been anything between the two of them that we, we can't talk about, you know, because sometimes things can go on where it makes life very hard for you. I, I also think... The problem we all have is that we're getting the little snippets, we're getting the sensational headlines, we're getting the sensational comments that were made. And sometimes things can be far worse when they've just taken out lines as opposed to the context of the actual, his answer. Mm -hmm. So I would just be a little bit hesitant to jump two-footed in. But I agree, Thomas. I don't think Thomas Duke, obviously he knows more. He yeah, he must he know the whole thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I also think I agree with Bridget. I don't think I don't, I actually don't think Thomas Tuchel had any other option other than to drop him from the match day yeah. squad. There, there's no other way. Yeah, and then you lose some of the players in the dressing room. Thing. Uh, absolutely, the gaffer's got no respect here. So what he's done, he's set yeah. precedence now. He's drawn a line in the sand. Any other players do it, you don't play. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. And I think he's done the right thing. And has, has that happened to you before that a player goes out? Because media, that's that's their job at the end of the day. They're going to press the buttons. They need to sell a headline. Have you ever, as a player, have you ever had a teammate go out and say something in the media that you see him in the change and be like, mate, what are you talking about? Like, have they ever bottled it? Or has this become much more of a thing in the last 10, 15 years where, where these big sit-downs happen in multiple different countries and you, something you just can't control? 1997 FA Cup final. Yeah. We're playing Middlesbrough. We're on the on the way. We're actually just we're parked outside the hotel. We're, we've all some of us have got on the bus already. Brian Robson's sitting at the front of the bus with his dark glasses on because he had a big night. We're on the going ready to leave for Wembley. Most of the players are on the bus. All of a sudden, Fabrizio Ravinelli comes on. We're all dressed in suits. Comes on the bus. I didn't think much of it. And then all of a sudden, about a quarter of the way at the bus, he starts to run up the up the the uh, the aisle, and he starts running to a guy called uh, Neil Cox. Uh, he was our right back and he starts swearing at him and pointing his finger a couple of players jump up and hold him back and all sorts of stuff unbeknownst to me what happened was Neil Cox gave an interview in the Sun newspaper a couple of days before which they then released the story on the day of the game that how much most of the players hate Fabrizio Ravinelli how he's arrogant how he doesn't join the team go on nights out for dinner come across him, he blanks everyone, doesn't even acknowledge everyone's there, blah, 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 and mate, it kicked off. We're on the way to the FA Cup final. That was the FA Cup final that Chelsea scored after 44 seconds. <laughs> oh, man, was that Di- uh, Di Matteo against um, yes. the goalkeeper? So what do you expect? My... Who was the goalkeeper? Ben Roberts. Ben Roberts, yes. Had yeah. a nightmare off yeah. the back of his head. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So what happens? So anyway, there you go. There you go. That was 1997. Yeah, this yeah. is nothing new. 
I don't blame Nothing you. Nothing new. But I was he right? A couple of, I saw it with a couple of players, and but not, obviously there's not a story as great as that, but when Mark Viduka was trying to get away from Leeds United, but that was escalated because he'd had a huge fallout with Peter Reid. Yeah. They tried to keep it in-house. Nobody, but Peter yeah. Peter Reid told, told all the boys in the team that Viduka wanted to leave, and um, I've, I've, you know, Viduka is the calmest, nicest man in the world, but as soon as you see his fist start sit, hitting the back of his arse, you know the big man is angry, and him and Peter Reid came to blows on the training ground. Um, you know it was that was meant to be kept in house, and it, and it leaked. And then the other one was Rio Ferdinand um, moving from Elland Road to Manchester United after he had an incredible tournament with England, uh, and how he forced that move through and just rubbed up too much salt in the um, Leeds United fans' um, wound, should I say, for after he left. Mm, but not as good as Swartzy's. Not as good as that one. Swartzy was 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 Ravenelli a, a tough tough guy to get along with. You know what? I I I didn't see any of that because I arrived I arrived end of February that season. So they obviously Swartzy's had already boring as him anyway. He never went out neither. Coxie <laughs> was just going to talk about Swartz. I did a bit. I did a bit, but nothing like those guys. No, no, no. no. There was a real at that time. You got to think about it. There was a real strong British contingent of players, and then that was the, right at the beginning of the influx of foreign players. So he'd signed, you know, Janino, uh, Ravanelli, Emerson. Yeah, and Emerson and Janino really integrated really well with the boys. The boys love them, and they they joined in. I mean, the Brazilians love a bit of a party, right? So it was yeah. easy, right? Whereas Fabrizio Rebelli, let's not forget, he won the European Cup with Juventus, scored the winning goal in the final, and he's been told by Juve, apparently, this is the story goes, that he was told he's been sold. He didn't know anything about it. And in those days, it was kind of like, once Juve made the decision you're sold, you have to go. And he apparently didn't have a clue even who Middlesbrough was. At that time, he, he got offered 42 grand a week, which was an incredible amount of money. And he, he milked it for every, everything it was worth. And that's fair, fair play to him, right? But from when I arrived, all I can say is, on the football pitch, he was incredibly professional. He was unbelievable. I used to stay back and do a lot of shooting drills with him. He was insane how good he was. Um, his record spoke for itself. I mean, we got relegated that season. He scored 31 goals. He scored 15, obviously, in the league and 16 in the in the Cups because we got to two yes. Cup finals. And Ravenelli was insane. Um, so it wasn't because of him. I mean, his attitude and professionalism was, was insane. He just, I think the players didn't like it. He didn't like them because he thought, hang on, where have I ended up here? We've got no hope of doing anything at this club if, if players are unprofessional. So you can understand it. I can understand that mentality. He didn't want to lower his standards because he didn't want to become a loser. Yeah, you could yeah. probably put it that way. Yeah, and you've got some uh, you got some right back trying to sell stories to the media. So yeah, well, I, mean, it was, yeah. I think it was more of a frustration. And he went right. I don't care. I'm probably. I'm, I think I think Neil Cox left at the end of that season, and, and Ravenelli ended up going as well. Bef actually, he came back and had to come back, played the very first game in the championship, and then left. He finally forced his move away from the club. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like I said, I, I can't I can't say a bad word about him. He was always very. I mean, I, I got him, I mean, not that I sat down and had lots of chats with him, but I got on with him really well. He was very respectful, got on really well, and I loved working with him because I thought he was insane. I mean, I learned so much from him. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Let's fly through a bit of the best of the rest action from the Premier League this weekend. And I'm going to go one each because, gentlemen, when we start chatting, we love a good chat. I'm going to go one each, one storyline each. Bridgie, I'm going to start with you. The other cracking game was a few days ago, but it's worth talking about because I think it was tighter than a lot of people expected. Much tighter than the first time they met this season. Arsenal up against Man City. It was late. It was really what champions are made of, winning those type of games when you probably shouldn't steal all three points. They managed to do that, but there were two huge moments in the game, and that was the Bernardo Silva penalty going down, I thought, quite easily in the box. And then there was also the Martin Odegaard penalty shout on Edison, which wasn't given. What was your take on those two moments? I am going to defend the referees here and the VR. I'm going to say that I do still believe that Edison got his foot, sat some part of the ball. Um, I think he, he'd... I can see what the player's trying to do. Um, I'm going to stick with his goalkeeper's union. I never thought I'd do that. And then the um, Bernardo Silva, I think he's absolutely tore Jacker inside out. And when you grab a player by the shirt, whether it was contact with the foot whatsoever, but he's grabbed the player by the shirt, the, there was a reverse angle that you saw. And I couldn't believe that Xhaka's actually tried to play, claim his, you know, his, his innocence because it was plain to see. And um, I just felt that Arsenal let, let themselves down massively. Gabriel getting sent off with a second red card after arguing with the referee because they were in so total control of this game. The amount of chances Arsenal created early doors, uh, uh, they, just, they just had a, about 10 minutes moment of madness. And again, I always say it, it comes back to that man, Xhaka. I don't know how many times he's let, he's let Arsenal down, whether that's with red cards or penalty decisions. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of his. I've been absolutely delighted with Gabriel and Ben. Um, uh, oh man, Ben, ben White, White have, yeah. have, have been the partnership at the back along with Ramsdale. They've been sensational, and yet again that midfield, that just that core of Arsenal let them down. Um, but a, a cracking game, and City just shown that they they found a way. Schwartz was shaking his head at your take on the Edison on ben. a goalkeeper. Can you believe that? Yeah, <laughs> no. You know what? There there are, there are two angles that they were showing a lot of. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the first angle. I think it's pretty obvious that Edison's actually not... He, he's not... Um, you've got Odegaard's foot in between the two, between Edison's foot and the ball. I don't think Edison touches the ball. I've seen it quite a few times now. I don't see any touching. The ball goes in the direction of which Edison pushes his foot, and that's because he hits, in my opinion, hits Odegaard's foot, which then pushes onto the ball and goes in the direction that he was defending. I, I think it's a penalty. Now, who was doing VR? Was it the Australian guy? I don't know. Was he? I think yes, it was Jared he was on for that game. He was. Yeah, he was on for that game. Yeah, Jared. So, so I, I, I can I, see I, the I, headlines I, now. Australian legend Mark Swarter criticises Gillett, the Australian <laughs> Premier League VAR. I can see it now. According to Michael Bridges. According to Michael Bridges. <laughs> who said it was a correct decision. <laughs> no, I, I, I think... Listen, I, I think it was a penalty. I really do. And I think with... Um, with Granite Xhaka, I, I also I think that's a penalty. I, I think the referee got one right, one wrong. I mean, the, listen, the referee didn't get the first one wrong because he actually said no penalty initially. Mm. It's the VAR overtook it, right? Over, 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 overturned it, which I thought yeah. was strange. And they looked on the other angle, which the ball... I, I don't think there's conclusive evidence to suggest that he actually gets the ball. I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's more suggesting that he gets Odegaard's foot. So I think that's a penalty, and I think certainly the, the Bernardo Silva's a penalty as well. Claude, quickly on you penalty? Yes, I know for the just to settle the you know the debate here. Uh, I th- uh, it's it's I think technically if, if you're going to get technical and say you know the Bernardo Silva one, 
you pull the shirt, it's a pen. Yeah, yeah, then pen, in this yeah. one, you've got to say if your foot is colliding with his foot rather than the ball, then it's also yeah. a pen. So yeah, I think yeah. uh, I think Arsenal were a bit hard done by, and Martin Odegaard will feel hard done by. Uh, another huge storyline was sorry, Schwartzy, uh, Bridgie, what do you have there? Carry on, no, 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 all good, mate, all good. <laughs> another huge storyline was your boys Leeds United getting a win in a week where so many teams towards that end of the table have dropped points, and now it's looking tasty. And while the title race is looking almost out of reach now for Chelsea and Liverpool, this is providing much better. Just fun all around for people that aren't supporting any of those clubs. It's great to watch every week. It's a bit of a yo-yo down there, but despite Maxwell Cornish, what's his favourite player in the league, scoring a fantastic goal, Leeds United run away with the win. Bridgie, how happy are you about that one? Absolutely delighted. And I think you could just tell that Bielsa's a man that doesn't really show much emotion. Uh, you know, he's very, very switched on. He watches the game. He's, so, he, he's up and down, but you never see that emotion come out. I saw it when they got promoted back to the Premier League and he celebrated with the players. The relief when Dallas's goal went in from the corner, he turned to his staff and he jumped with them. I haven't seen him do that. You could just see the relief on his face. Um, and I don't think it was for him personally. I think it was for all the fans that were in that stadium. That you, you know, For several weeks I've been going there. The late equaliser against Brentford from Banford. All the injury crisis that they are going through. And they've had to put a lot of faith in youngsters. And there was two games I looked at and it was the home game against Burnley, and their next game that they were coming up, I think it was, um, I think it's Norwich, I do believe, I'm not sure, Norwich and Newcastle, but the teams that are in and around them, and I said, these two are must-win games, and to see that buffer now, the gap up to eight points from Burnley on 11 and Leeds up to 19, they're the games you've got to win, and the relief was absolutely huge. And um, I've sent a lot of messages out to some of the boys at that football club just saying congratulations, lad, lads. And a lot of the ex-players that we've been working at the stadiums um, as ambassadors for these home games with the fans. It was just a nice relief um, and a great moment. Yeah, but their next home game is yeah, Leeds-Newcastle. That's going to be That's an incredible game. Who are you going for, Bridget? Who are you going to support? Um, I'm going to sit in the fence, Sporty, but I'm going to go for the team that employs me and pays me, so I'll go for Leeds United. Come on, Leeds. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned his name before, Maxwell Cornet. Just to let you know, he's played 10 games, only started eight and scored six goals. Yeah. It's been phenomenal. And he's getting, and he's getting relegated. <laughs> Maybe. He may well be, but he won't. I, I don't see he's him being do a there. Ravinelli. He's going to be don't the see him being there come the end of the season. Down. Yeah, yeah, he won't. He, he's not a championship player, that's for sure. And I'm excited to see no. what he does at AFCON as well. Schwartzy, how poor are Everton? Yeah, yeah. How quickly things can change, huh? I mean, if you... Wow. wow. Um, Rafa just looks complete. I mean, after the game, I saw right at the end of the game, obviously the cameras go straight on Rafa, and, and his reaction to the booze, it was killing him. Like, he was not having it. He was not having the booze whatsoever. Um <clears throat> But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't see him turning it around perfectly honest with you. They don't beat I'm Leicester, re- does he go? <sighs> the At problem home? they've got, the problem they've got is, the, the, one of the issues I, well, the biggest issue they've got is he's obviously a Liverpool manager, isn't he, that's taken over at Everton, and that was always what he's fighting against. And the problem they've got now is they're not, they're not people don't see the way out, because I don't think, they're, it's not like you watch them and you go, right, I can see what they're trying to do and you can see it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, the penny's going to drop, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. I mean, he's falling out with players. Luca Dina, you, you know, he's been one of their more consistent players, one of their better players, has fallen out completely with him. He got asked after the game, uh, Benitez, about him. 
he refused to talk about it, basically in terms of saying that, you know, he's, a, he's an Everton player and didn't rule out whether he's going to have a chance to play. He said he just has to earn the right, even though can't, I mean, he's just, it's clear because he had the falling out and that he's not playing. Um, I just think, I just don't know, I don't see him turning it around. I just think because of the problem from the fans, the fans so against him now, or even more so, the poor performances, players' confidence are going to drop even more. The more the fans get up against them, the more difficult it's going to be for players. We've all been there. We know what it's like when the whole stadium starts to turn, you're in trouble. You're in real big trouble. It takes really, really strong characters in that group to turn things around. And and you need a manager that the players have got to be really behind. And I'm not so sure that the players are going to go that extra yard for him. Mm. Yeah, well, and you mentioned that Leicester game. After that, in the next month, they do play Norwich, Newcastle, and Leeds. So if they do give him time, then that has to be the be-all and end-all. You've well, got to be winning these games. Well, if you think about it, I think they have to give him that extra time. Yeah. yeah. Unless they think they've got someone who is the ideal candidate now to replace him and take Everton further forward. But they said but he you... was the ideal candidate. That was the comments mm. that came out. That's right. And, and they will, I mean, they've stuck with him so far and they've said that he's not under pressure yeah. and so forth and or under threat of losing his job. Um, that certainly is a kick in the teeth, isn't it, though, um, against Brighton? I think I think you'll have the January window. They've got them games coming up, and I think that he... Yeah, I just want to see what Swartz's take on was the Leicester game, because I've seen the, the tough the tough fixtures that they have had and a nice little run of games coming. But if, like you say, Claude, if you don't get them done against the teams in the relegation battle, I think yeah, it could be curtains. He's got, yep. he's got Dominic Calvert-Lewin back in the squad. It wasn't a, a happy return for him, but we know his quality and, and he could light it up very soon. One more I want to ask you about, Bridgie. feels like you support half the Premier League, really, but another club that you have good affiliation with, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur. It means he's always going to be happy because someone's bound to win every weekend. Uh, always top- crying, because there are, there are a couple of weeks where he's crying because all these teams are crap. <laughs> Tottenham, Not this one he's going to talk about. Tottenham left it very late. Davinson yeah. Sanchez scoring in the 96th minute, but it's Antonio Conte football, 1-0. It's a good win. They look like they're in the box seat for fourth spot, and are Spurs fans pretty pleased over there? Yeah, absolutely delighted, and especially when you think uh, West Ham, Arsenal and Liverpool and, and Chelsea and Man City, they've got 20, 20 games and 21 games. Tottenham only had 18 and um, sitting pretty on 33 points, so you know, got to chase Arsenal once again, Claude, and i just got to say, I think the, the transformation and the style and what Conte has done, like you say, I can just see the players playing with a smile on their face again. Um, they're enjoying what is going on there and the fans are loving it and they're embracing it because they, they see the passion of this man and I think a lot more of the players are on notice now that they, they, his enthusiasm and his tactics are paying off dividends and it's, it's actually a happy time to be a Spurs fan, I've got to say. Oh, hang uh, on. Bridgie, who do you think, you know, because Conte has already said after the first week or two that he was the club that he told the club he needs reinforcements, right? So January window now, who, who do you think are two players that he's going to try and move on or two players that certainly will be looking to, to you know, be out the exit door now in January alone? Well, I'll tell you what, if you'd listened to, if you heard his recent interview when he was asked about certain players, um, a smile came to his face when he was talking about Harry Winks. When they were talking, is, is Harry Winks going to be going? The young boys skip as well in that midfield. Hoiberg, he spoke very highly about them. And I'll tell you what, the question was out about um, Ndombele. And his whole face just changed. And it was kind of like, move on. I don't want to talk about this guy. This guy is absolutely minging and he will be going. <laughs> now, whether anybody will buy him, it's, you know, he's 60 odd million. I don't know, Swartzy, but I wouldn't be bothered if he actually went. And I'll tell you another one that I wouldn't be bothered if he went was Deli Alley. 
Um, there's talk that Newcastle United may have an option to to get hold of him. And again, I've I've loved seeing Delhi, but he, you know, I think he's just gone off the boil. Time to have a recharge and a refresh. So they're the ones that I wouldn't be bothered if went. Mm. Deli Ali had that return to the side, and everyone got a little excited. But in typical Antonio Conte fashion, he's got he's got his methods, and he's always going to stick to it. He won't buy into that media hype. And a big transfer target that I've heard of just this morning now is that Gabby goal. Gabriel Barbosa has been linked potentially to a move to Newcastle United in January, but that's the beauty. That's the silly season that is the January transfer window, and we'll keep everyone posted each and every week. I'm sure we're going to have new storylines come next week, but for now. I need to talk about the African Cup of Nations, which is about to kick off. So many Premier League superstars are heading that way. Tottenham actually is one of the few clubs losing zero players to this tournament. So that's another positive for Antonio Conte when he looks at his side. Schwartz, Ian Wright came out during the week. It was a pretty public chat talking about that he feels this is the most disrespected international competition in world football. Now, in saying that, it also does fall during the schedule of a season. So has he got a point here? Should we all be showing a little bit more respect to this brilliant competition? Because it is. So many superstars. Or it falls in the middle of the season. Are the media right in, in, in the way that they're positioning it? No, I think Ian Wright's got it wrong because the fact is that the Asian Cup's actually probably the most disrespected competition because we copped all sorts of abuse when we left mid-season mid, mid to go play the Asian Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can understand clubs and fans and media not being happy about it. Uh, it it's a clear issue that the federations need to sort out it's not it's, i think it's not disrespecting the competition it's about the frustration of having a major tournament during a current season where there's no break so you've got to, i think everyone's got to understand there's that frustration we know that you can't change it but that's not going to change people's frustration and then voicing an opinion just like the likes of ian wright and also lots of other people who've said they believe it's disrespectful I, I don't think it's disrespecting the competition itself. You could throw it around the other way and say, well, actually, AFCON's disrespecting all the other leagues by playing during the seasons. Mm. And I think that's the disappointing thing. Um, it's not a new phenomenon. It's been happening for a long time. Like I said, the Asian Cup's done it as well. So that's something that seriously needs to change. So whether or not then it does get introduced to season break, a break at that time when those, when those are on, hold other international tournaments at the same time so that it's not just for AFCON to have that break. I don't know. There has to be a different solution. I don't think you can keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. You mentioned if they're being disrespectful, should you know you talk about the Asian Cup and, and the Asian leagues who play at a different time of the year? Should Asia, should Africa have to adjust their footballing schedule to a European schedule? Like, it sh- should should that not really be their worry? Because well, the there's the day- an international calendar, isn't there? So there is an international calendar that can be adjusted a little bit. So if you think about it, if they were to hold it during an international break, hmm. it, the, the disruption wouldn't be anywhere, anywhere near as bad. Yeah. So, if it, you know, during the two-week international break, there's only then the players potentially away for a maximum of two weeks. Mm-hmm. I think clubs would be a lot happier with that than, than the current system. Yeah. Yeah. So I just don't think there's been really a lot of planning put into it, a lot of thought put into it. I think there's a case of, well, we're holding our tournament when we want to and the rest just have to release it because we've got the permission to do so, which I understand them doing, but someone's got to take more control of this and go, hang on a second, no, 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 we need to be a bit more organised. We've got to respect everyone. Everyone's got to have respect because I think... As a player, I'd be desperate. If I was from, from one of the African countries, of course I'd want to play in it. I want to play and represent my country. And, and it's like it's the next best thing from playing in a World Cup. So, of course, they want to play. And you want to give them that opportunity. But it's got to suit people. It's got to fall into the right time zone. And if you talk about, you know, people go, well, 
The other argument may be, well, the only league it's going to really affect is the Premier League. But it is also the biggest league in the world. Mm-hmm. It's the most watched, most sought after. A lot of players are playing, playing their trade there. So that, I think, should be taken into consideration. There should be adjustments made. Bridgie, when you look at now, how, how can this be solved? Schwartz, he mentioned almost in, in, in his argument, they mentioned two potential things. One is that you have an international break during January, February when this tournament yeah. is on. The other one is that it just simply moves to suit the European calendar more and, and he's played in the middle of well, the Well, it's, it's a FIFA calendar. It's not, not just now, I'm not just saying the European calendar. I'm talking about the FIFA calendar. Yeah. 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 So I'm talking about putting it during international break. But so that you fit it in around there. Swartzy knows more about that international calendar than I do, and obviously what he was saying about the Asian Cup and how he's been part of it, he's lived it, he's smelled it, he's breathed it, how tough it can be, because the last thing that you want as a player to turn your country down, right? Yes. If your country is playing and you get selected, you want to go and play. The fans, however, have a, every right to be upset and annoyed that their players are going mid-season on a break to play for their country because they see it as their players and the club pays their wages. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing you're losing them for the thing. So I don't know what the solution is, Claude. It's it, it's absolutely had me dumbfounded and stumped. And Swartz is answered in the best possible way that he that he can, and I agree with it um, with what he's saying, which is un, uncommon for me. However, what I would I would say, you know, if you if you're going forward and you see the likes of I've looked at Arsenal, Party, El Nani, Aubameyang, Pepe, they'll be absolutely gutted. Their fans that they're not going to see them, as the coaching staff will be. Crystal Palace have been affected by yeah, uh, four players: Zaha. EU, Schlupp and Kieta. Uh, and then Watford for me in a relegation battle. This is the big one for me. If you are fighting relegation, Ranieri is in there. You've got four players out and potentially it was going to be five, but they've held Dennis back because he said that the international um, window was, was breached and they didn't get his name in in time for the international duty. Mm. That for me says well, I'm not going to play for you now for the rest of the season because you've let me not represent your country. So I think Watford are going to be the biggest losers from this and it could affect them. Hey, he needed every help he could possibly get, Ranieri. Exactly. Well, Ranieri as well. He's got his own downfall, as Sporty would tell you. Yeah. So I don't know what the solution is, Claude. I just feel I feel for the, the players yeah. and I feel for the whole dilemma that it has created and the dynamics because um, you know we're seeing it from... From what Ian Wright has, has said, and we're seeing it from what the players have said and what the clubs have said. If I'm I'm the owner of the football club, I don't want to let my players go. Mm. But I know if I don't let them go, I'll lose them for the rest of their playing career with my football club. So there's there's no happy ending um, at all with this whole scenario. Which, which it also there's a knock on effect as well for 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 players out of the African uh, continent that that clubs will think twice about signing a player because they Correct. know that there will be. Every two years, there'll be a potentially there will be a, a, a an African Nations competition held yeah. during season during the season. We're going to lose players, and the so, players are the biggest losers from that sport. Absolutely, right. absolutely. It's not the players' fault. It's it's the organisations that need to sort yeah. themselves out. It's yeah. FIFA. It's it's Afcon. It's you know them all needing to get together and finding a solution and deciding. Okay, hang on. You know these these tournaments can't be held mid season. They need to be held either in the off season. Or they need to be held during an international break to minimise the disruption. I've got to say, I love watching the African nation because it's so flamboyant. The fans are absolutely brilliant. And some of the football you see, like you say, these players are lighting up the Premier League and and clubs around the world. Uh, And to watch them all in action for their country, it it is some tournament. So it would be nice to see if they can all come to a solution so we get the best of both worlds for club and country. Mm, And given that it's it's biannual as well, it it, it happens so often. Yes. this one, look, the, the, this tournament in Cameroon was originally penciled in for June, July, and it was moved because of the rainy season in Cameroon. 
it was actually moved back to January, February. And the next one, Ivory Coast 2023, is penciled in currently for June, July 2023. So it seems like they, they did have these discussions. This looks like it'll be the last one that falls in the middle of the season. Um, well, but- well, for now, because for this now. is not the first time we've had it. At a, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like It's one of those things that, depending on which region of Africa that the tournament's held in, Correct, will determine yeah. whether or not it's more suitable to play Early in the year or mid 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 uh, mid of, middle of the year during the off season, and, and that's why I'm saying that that's I'm something needs to change. So the, the, the organisation of, of of actual um, international calendar needs to change or needs to be adjusted. And maybe they didn't have enough money to be able to change their tournament to shut down the other leagues around the world, like um, some country and nation did in 2022. Yeah, well, that's the other point. You know, Schwartz, you raised a great point that there is an international footballing calendar. It's been strict up until this point, hasn't it? And then mm. we just happen to fall in the year where yeah. uh, everything's been thrown out the window. But nonetheless, that's that's another that's a whole other topic maybe for another <laughs> podcast, guys. Uh, we're excited for the African Nations Cup because, as Bridgie said, the football's brilliant. The fans are incredible, so we're looking forward to it. It's in Cameroon as well. Samuel Eto, who we spoke about last time on the show, is going to be involved in the organisation of the tournament. So it should be, should be plenty of fun all around, guys. January is great for that. It is also great for transfer window being open. And not to say that any of these players are at threat of leaving their club. We're going to bring back a little game that we played a few weeks ago. We're going to bring back start, bench, sell. Now, I've come up with three good ones for you guys. Three of the top teams in English football at the moment. I'm going to start with Man City and three players that are in brilliant form. Everyone would take them in their side, but if you had to start one, bench one, and sell one, Schwartzy, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, and Kevin De Bruyne. All right, I would sell Bernardo Silva. I would bench Phil Foden and play Kevin De Bruyne. (sighs) Easy. What are you talking about? My word. Why why was selling Bernardo Silva that easy? I, listen, I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's a brilliant player. Um, but he's not at the same level as De Bruyne or Phil Foden. So, you know, if we... No, no, we, 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 hang on. We're, 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 com- we're comparing yeah. three incredible players. <laughs> Obviously, Phil Foden is the future. Kevin De Bruyne is now. He's one of the best players on the planet. And Bernardo Silva has been excellent. Like, absolutely brilliant. And I, lo- I love watching Bernardo Silva. Phil Foden and you can capitalise and get money on him. Absolutely. And we've got exactly the same answers, can you believe? There you go. Yeah, I've I convinced him. In a short period of time, I've convinced Michael Bridges that's what he should do. I've changed it six times, but strategically, I looked at exactly the same as you. I thought, you know, he's the future of this football club. I can't drop De Bruyne, I can't sell him. <clears> so, <throat> I'm sorry, Silva, I'm going to have to have that conversation with you, mate. Step in my office, off you go, young man. <laughs> So Kevin De Bruyne's physical condition isn't something to consider here. He's just that good of a player. He has to start, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's phenomenal. So Phil Foden, yes, he's the future. But looking at it right now, so that makes sense why you'd you'd keep oh, him. But, I mean, but look, I, I say Phil Foden right is the future. He is also now. So he, is, is he better Kevin than Bernardo not... Silva as a player right now? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Ooh. On a yeah, consistent so, yeah. basis, no. I think no, 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 no. Probably not at the consistency, but he certainly does produce better yes. performances when he's yes. on, when and he's, he's on. not that far off it. And I think the the combo of playing Kevin De Bruyne all the time, or most of the time, and then Phil Phone coming in and out when he needs to, because Kevin De Bruyne will get injured as he mm. as he does most seasons because of the work rate he puts in. And therefore, Phil Phone will step up. That's my argument to it. I cannot wait to see the social media abuse that Claude you've just created for me and Swartzy. <laughs> what would you? What, 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 what did you do, one Claude, or not? Well, no, he's just on the fence, mate. I'm he not, doesn't do anything. I don't claim to be an expert here or former Premier League footballer, so well, uh, neither do we. Yeah, but no. we are. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a huge former player. Also, yeah, expert. No, <laughs> I, I'm a Correct. huge Bernardo Silva fan. You know, and uh, and uh, I do think that English bias is is so often a thing. It's tough. Like, I, so I, I you're agree. benching. Come on, then. I, what are you doing? I'm benching Bernardo Silva. And selling are you. And I'm selling Phil Foden. I'm cashing in on Phil Foden. Wow. Yeah. I lo- but, I, wow. But, but like you said, they're all incredible players. So. Just because you, yeah. you beat us in the Euros, mate. Move on. Let's go. And just because yeah. that haircut, yeah. that head, that head is just, you know. <laughs> I need I need better looking players in my squad. Uh, let's go with Man United now. This one's going to be quite fun because a few players that are under some criticism this season, I'd say all three mm. of them, uh, have been under their fair share of criticism. Greenwood was in the thick of it, actually. That substitution this morning was booed by the Old Trafford faithful. But let's talk about these three. Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, and Jaden Sancho. Start one, bench one, sell one. Bridgie, you can kick this one off. Um, to start one, I mean, another great topic. All three of them having, you know, a bit dodgy seasons. I think Greenwood's been a standout for me early on this season. Sancho, not so good. And Rashford um, is, you know, I still, I really like him. I like what he does off the field as well. So I've gone for sell Sancho, bench Greenwood and start Rashford. And I would actually drive Sancho myself to the airport and say, get back to Dortmund now, son. <laughs> Schwartz is shaking your head. You guys thought no. I thought you guys were going to agree on these ones for a second. No, but, uh... no, they're going to disagree on that completely. I, I, Come on, then. I'm, I'm going to. I'm actually. I know he's been. I know he's been average. He's been poor for his for his ability and what he's done in, at Dortmund. I would stick with him. I would put my arm around him, give him the most massive, you know, confidence boost. I would start Sancho. So you're not putting him on I'll... the bench. You're giving him a cuddle in the bed, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I would start him, and I would put Rashford on the bench and sell Greenwood. You would sell Greenwood. Are you yes. mad? You no. just said Foden's the future of the football club, and then you've got yeah. Greenwood, who for yeah, but me Rashford is one is of the most outstanding young Rashford, talent Rashford is as well still. Yeah, but I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying... I think Greenwood is technically brilliant, right? He, he's striking the ball, everything else about it. I, I just think he's a player that plays a lot with his head down. He's a very, very selfish player. Um, wow. I think they need more than that, Man United. I, I think when most you watch him, right? In my opinion, every time he comes on or he starts a game, he. Ver- I mean, I'd, I don't know the stat, but I, I'd be I'd be shocked if he's had many assists. I like him when he plays as the number nine and the number ten. I don't like him out wide. I think he does yeah. drift in and out of games. So I think yeah, I, I, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna need to wear a crash helmet, man. Be- when you go to yeah. Old Trafford, the fans are no, gonna I agree. absolutely smash no, you. No, I'm going to take that. I'm going to prepare to take Sancho's that. I'm going to put my neck on the line because I think Jane Sancho has so much more still to give. Did you see um, start him? Yes. Oh, yeah. He needs to run a games. He needs to run a games, mate. Podcast now. No, he needs to run a games. We know Schwartz. He, he, Schwartz, he loves he his Bundesliga, for, mate. He's seen. Schwartz, he's seen he doesn't Sancho play for at, Dortmund. He does not play for Dortmund anymore. This is about Manchester United, my man. He's saying Rashford. Oh, sorry, Greenwood I got confused. Sorry. God, <laughs> that's rattled me like that. Shocking. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get it. I get why. You, I get I, why you're upset, mate. I get because yeah, it doesn't make any real logical sense in terms of how they've performed this season. I agree with you, but I'm going on what I know Sancho can produce, hmm. um, and and I, I think he can produce far better than what Mason Greenwood could, and I still think Jordan Sancho will be better. Mm. I think I, I I fall between between the two of you. I think I I I, I can see both your sides of the argument. I could definitely see Schwartz's argument with Jaden Sancho and. You know, you need to give, you do need to give, we've seen a lot of players take at least a season to adjust to English football and having seen what he can do for Borussia Dortmund, he was brilliant. I think that I would keep him. I don't know if I'd start him, but I'd keep him in the squad. I'd probably bench him. Um, and 
yeah, I think I'd keep Mason Greenwood as well. I think I'd be shafting Marcus Rashford to be honest. So I think I'd wow. disagree. With- <laughs> wow, wow, uh, just just because the man that the man <clears throat> that has saved the food for the kids at schools. Fantastic, fantastic that. But you know, I'm I'm talking talking purely to win me games. <laughs> Sorry, all right, all right. <laughs> But yeah, uh, this is why it's a great game, guys, because you're always going to get disagreements, and I'm keen to hear what the rest of our that'll Optus be brilliant on the socials. Think yeah. of this as That's well. It's going to be great, man. I got one I'm, more. I'm, I'm nervous about this last one. I got no, one I've got more. It. I've got to go with Shorty, easy, Chelsea, easy for me. Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, and Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, I would sell Hakim Ziyech, even though I think he's been absolutely. He was brilliant at Ajax. He just hasn't quite fit in. It doesn't seem right. I don't know. Doesn't really work for me at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Even though I think he's technically a brilliant player, I think he's he's got an enormous amount of ability. I just You're talking about these three players. I would start Kai Havertz and I'd bench Pul- uh, Pulisic. I think Pulisic is a talented boy, but I think he's got... Um, obviously, the injury issues that he's had, he's never really had a consistent run in the team. And I, and, and I, I, I you know, his finish the other day was, was, was brilliant against Liverpool. I just think Kai Havertz is growing and he's getting better and better. Um, last season was an up and down season for him, but finished it very, very well. And I think he's he's slowly getting better and better. Bridgie, I've got to say I've gone with start Havertz. We agree. I agree with Sorty. I think there's plenty more for to come from him. He's grown on me. Uh, however, Pulisic, I think he's. I, I've liked him. He's been there long enough. I've got him self. I'm I'm saying farewell. I'm going to shake his hand. And I've got um, Zeke. I think he can still be a massive impact player. And he's got a lot to offer in the future. So I, that's, that's the way I've gone. But I've, I've got no argument to Swarty because this was a very tough one, I thought. I thought Three. the Man United one was easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know what it is with Schwartzy, mate? If you've played in the Bundesliga, you get the extra brownie points with Correct, Mark Schwartzy. You're always going to get kept yeah. if you've played in the Bundesliga. So. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Awesome, guys. I'm sure the Optus Sport team is going to clip those up and make sure you guys uh, cop your fair hey, share I know of the abuse. Chelsea, man. Give us yours. My one, I have Chelsea. To, I, I have to agree with Schwartz on this one, to be honest. Um, while I think Hakim Ziyech is a phenomenal player, I haven't seen that level at Chelsea, whereas Christian Pulisic, despite his injuries, let's wind it back to two seasons ago, we saw the elite level that he's capable of, single-handedly winning games against Man City and the like. So I think to consider that, I'd keep him on the bench. I'd also start Havertz. His work rate is exceptional. Um, his professionalism is apparently insane. Um, everything about him, he just needs to have that luck of staying fit. And I think, like I said, Kai Havertz, I, I'm going to say, yeah, he's, he's certainly matured as a player. And the best thing he could, could have ever done was leave Germany and give that get that experience, push the boat out there. Mm. And I think he's, he's coming through. He's coming through with, uh, with uh, sailing thrill, actually, getting better and better. And let's be real, Christian Pulisic sells jerseys in the American market too. I think he's a great economic decision for Chelsea. Oh, listen, listen to that. Oh, no, we're, not, we're not signing players he's on economic He's got a lot of basis. Instagram followers not- as well, so I didn't know that you could get transfer moves off Instagram followers. <laughs> uh. They love him over there. Christian Pulisic, they love him. Buy a jersey. They love him over there. You'll see great a topic. Couple- <laughs> great topic, by the way. Claude's giving you that one. That was, that was, I enjoyed that one. Anytime, guys. I'll, I'll try and uh, stump you with a few more of those in the weeks to come. Guys, thanks for joining us. We've just touched over the hour mark. We're going to say goodbye for now, but it's a new year. We've got plenty of storylines coming up, plenty of football coming your way as well, even though the Premier League takes a little tiny bit of a break. We've got plenty of W 
WSL action coming up live on Optus Sport, including a London derby between Chelsea and Spurs, who are right in the thick of a title race. So we'll keep you in touch with all that, AFCON news, transfer sagas, and all the rest next week. But for now, Bridgie, Schwartzy, from a long way away. Have a great week, guys, and awesome to catch up, and I'll see you all next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,